Well, good morning and welcome everybody. My name is Austin and I'm so thankful that you are here with us today. You might have noticed already, but it is not morning right now. Uh, I am pre-recording this. Um, for those of you who do not know, my wife Megan is one of the many heroes out there. She is a nurse and she has currently been working on a COVID floor. So we are trying to stay as much away from people as possible. So I get to record this at home and show you all my beautiful corner. Um, and on top of that, she works night shifts, which means that she is sleeping during the day and working at night. So this is the best time to do it without um, disrupting her. And as you watch this, Christmas has already passed, but as we are recording it, it has not happened yet, but I will still say, I hope you guys all had a wonderful and safe Christmas. Um, I know it was probably really different than normal, but I, I pray and hope that it was, it was wonderful still, and it was still to stay safe and healthy um, and just enjoy a good time. Um, as it is the holiday season, I have been reflecting on a lot of my past Christmases. Because this one is so different, I'm just trying to think about all the good ones that have happened. Um, and I started thinking about all the old traditions that my family does. Uh, my family does lots of Christmas traditions and I love them all. But one of my favorites is my parents put codes on our gifts on the wrapping paper and we have to decipher them. and. If we decipher them, then we get to open it. If we don't decipher them, then we don't get to open it. And so my brothers and I, I have two older brothers, we would spend hours and hours and days just trying to solve these codes. And sometimes they were simple and sometimes they were complicated. Um, a simple one was one of my brothers loves instruments. He loves music. And so one was just covered with like a trumpet and a saxophone instruments. And so those gifts were his. Um, sometimes they got much more complicated. Um, one year in particular, I remember there were quotes on every single present, my parents blessed us with lots of gifts, and so there were lots of quotes to look through. And we thought it was so complicated that we were trying to figure out, like, does the third letter of that, of the fourth word mean that I'm the third brother and that letter matches my name, so that's my present? Because um, they would get really complicated. And um, at the end of it, it turns out that the quote, whoever said that quote, it would, their birthday matched ours. And so Nelson, and Nelson Mandela didn't match any of our birthdays, but if they were matching, if they said that quote and they matched one of my brother's birthdays, it would be their gift. It was very complicated. One year they put a bunch of like hieroglyphics and really intense stuff on these gifts and we would spend weeks working on it. And it turns out that was just to throw us off. It was just the wrapping paper. One of us had uh, snowmen, one of us had snowflakes, one of us had candy canes, and it was hilarious. Um, but that's one of my favorite traditions. Another one we have is opening up gifts Christmas Eve. I know a lot of people do different things. My family did gifts Christmas Eve, uh, stockings Christmas morning. And I thought back about Christmas Eve. I, I like to think that they're, they're good memories, but the truth is that when I think about my childhood, I kind of dreaded Christmas Eve in a way. And if my parents are watching, I hope this isn't a shock to you, but it's because Christmas Eve just felt like it took forever. It just felt like it was such a long time. Because we didn't open them till the night of Christmas Eve. And there was a lot that happened in that day. We had we went to church. We had dinner. My dad would read us um, the story of Jesus' birth. And then we got to open gifts. And when you're seven years old, all of that stuff really adds up. And so I remember trying to kill as much time in the morning as I could until about 4 p.m., until we'd finally go to church. And then we'd go to church and I would just sit there, crouched, hating every second of it, trying to like bring a coloring book, just trying to bring a Game Boy, just trying to kill time. Because that hour was so long and I just dreaded it. And then we'd drive home 
and I'd be ready to open gifts. But no, we had to prepare dinner, and then we had to eat dinner. And I was the kid who was just like, either I didn't eat or I shoved all my food down as fast as possible or I'm giving it to the dog. And I'm just trying to speed up dinner. And it felt like an eternity. And then finally dinner's over and I'm excited. But no, now we have to do dishes. We do dishes and every dish I'm scrubbing just feels like it's millennia. And then finally we're done with dishes and now it's my dad's story. And I'm sorry, dad, but when I was a kid, I didn't really pay attention to the story. I kind of heard it, but I'm staring at that gift that has an umbrella on it. And I think an umbrella is a code for me. <laughs> and so I just didn't really pay attention. But Christmas Eve just felt so long. And as I thought on it, I started also remembering that as I grew up, so went to high school, went to college, became a young adult, the more I matured and the more I grew, my perspective of Christmas Eve completely changed. And the biggest thing that changed was my, my perception of time. You see, when I was a kid, the, all those events probably added up to four hours tops, but they felt like an eternity. And then as I got older, your, your, your perspective changes and, you, and your, your, your scope of life just grows. Your lens for the living is, is grander. And so you realize that those four hours are not the biggest thing in the world. They're really not that big a deal. And on top of that, there's other things going on where I was in college, so I didn't get to see my family as much. We didn't, I didn't eat very good food. And so I actually started cherishing the meals. And the more I fell in love with Jesus, I started loving the, church, the Christmas service beforehand. And I started loving my dad telling us the story. It's one of my greatest traditions. And so it's funny that as I grew up, the things that used to be torture soon became a source of joy for me. When I used to dread going to dinner, I now look forward to that more than anything else. That and crushing my family at Trivial Pursuit after. I have never won ever, and I'm hoping that this year's my year. And I think the same perspective, the same argument can be made for our spiritual selves. You see, I'm sure that all of us at some point in our lives have seen or have done something or have had something happen to us and we're wondering, God, when are you going to answer my prayers? God, where are you? Why are you acting slow? And maybe he does answer you, but it's later than you wanted. And, or maybe you feel like he's not answering you at all and he's abandoning you. And so this morning, I want to draw our attention to a text in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Here's what they say. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I have a couple of points I want to make on this text. I'm going to start with, with verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand, and a thousand is as one day. Now, this isn't an exact literal definition of how God perceives time, but it is a demonstration to tell us time is different for God. In fact, this is one of the verses that points us to believe that God is, you know, outside of time. He's beyond it. It, do it doesn't matter to him. Um, I don't know if this is going to be helpful, but C.S. Lewis has a very interesting perspective on God and time. Um, you see, 
C.S. Lewis will say, you know, here's a, here's a timeline. Here's your birth, maybe here's your death, and, and time is linear. It goes, you know, left to right, and, and we, we, we age. And where's God in this? God is the page. God is the page in which time is on. And I'll be honest, that doesn't help me understand it, but it does make me sit back and go, whew, wow. God is so much cooler than I am, and he's outside of time. And I think that it's this perspective of time that can actually change how we view circumstances. And this isn't necessarily a new idea. Just over 100 years ago, Albert Einstein created his, or proposed his, theory of relativity. Up until that point, we were pretty sure that time was this objective, linear, one point to the next idea. And Albert Einstein proved that, no, actually, based on your frame of reference, time is actually viewed differently. Time is not this objective truth. And why I think that's important is because if we have God's frame of time, in a sense, I think that actually changes things. As I was looking into the sermon and thinking about these ideas, I came across uh, a fun little bug, an animal, a bug called a mayfly. Now, some of you might know what a mayfly is. If you don't, um, a mayfly is famous for being, I think, the one thing on planet Earth that only lives for 24 hours. That's it. It's born, lives 24 hours, and dies. So that means that in that 24 hours of life, it is born, learns to walk, learns to talk, um, goes through puberty, has a rebellious stage, wonders if he or she likes him, gets a job, gets married, has a midlife crisis, retires, and dies all within this 24-hour scope. And so with that time of reference, if you could somehow communicate with a mayfly and say, hey, just wait one hour, you're asking it to wait 1 24th of its entire life. That's crazy. That's like asking us to wait, you know, three, four, five years. And to God, we are the mayfly. Time is so much different to him. He's eternal. He is infinite. In our minds, what might seem like 20 years to us is a second to him. And what's a thousand years is one second. And why that's significant is because unlike the mayfly in relationship to us, we are actually made in God's image. And God has actually put eternity on our heart. And so we can actually have an eternal perspective. Even though we live in this current world, we can actually look to the future and have an eternal perspective. And so we have had lots of suffering in our life, but suffering in a lot of ways not always, not all types of suffering, but a lot of suffering can be defined by time. So for example, um, when all of us were grounded as kids, we'd probably be sent to our rooms. Now your room is not a bad place. Your room is not a negative, awful place. It's not inherently bad. But what's bad about it is you add time to it. You're now supposed to sit in your room for an hour, for two hours, for three hours. The introduction of time actually makes that a bad thing. And this happens in so many aspects of our life. Losing your job is bad. But if you were promised a job the day after you lost your job, that suffering's a lot less. Suffering is the time in between losing your job and getting the new one. That's where the suffering is. It's, it exists in the time. And so if the longer time grows, the more suffering we experience, what if we could shrink that time? What if we could shrink it and make it smaller? 
Because just like when I was a kid, and I thought that that four hours was an eternity, and as I grew up, I realized that four, hour, four hours is really tiny. It's not that big compared to life. I think the same can be said for our spiritual perspective with God. These moments, these sufferings we have, especially during COVID, they feel eternal. They feel like they're crushing us. They feel so big. But the more we look to God, who is eternal, the more we actually gain an eternal perspective because eternity is etched on our souls. It's etched on our hearts. It's who we're made to be. We've never been in the presence of a finite being. Everybody's infinite. And so to have eternity in our mind could actually shrink these moments that feel like they're suffering. What felt like I didn't, what felt like I didn't have a job for an eternity is now shrinking. Now, there's a great example of someone who suffered. Apart from Jesus, the Apostle Paul was maybe someone who suffered potentially more than anyone else. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was slandered. The man had a rough life for a lot of, for a lot of his last years. And yet, in Romans 8.18, he says that he doesn't even think that the present sufferings are even worth mentioning or even worth considering compared to the glories that are in heaven. Paul is looking so forward into the future with his eternal mindset, knowing where we're going to be in heaven, that he's like, these present sufferings aren't even worth it. Shipwrecked? Forget about it. Imprisoned? Not a big deal. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul gets in, he's in prison. He's stuck in prison. And I don't know about you, but when I have a goal in mind, and then something happens to me, and I can now can no longer do that, I get bummed, I get sad. I wanted to do this thing, but then a circumstance happened, and now I can't do it. And it makes me sad, it makes me anxious, it makes me stressed. So for Paul, I would imagine that if he wants to promote the gospel, if he wants to spread the good news of Jesus, that if he gets imprisoned, he should be sad. How He needs to go travel to the world, and he's now stuck in one place for who knows how long. So he should be sad, but he's just not. He's happy. He sings. He rejoices in prison. He tells the Philippian church that his imprisonment is actually served to advance the gospel. And then he says, look at the imperial guard. Look at these guards that I now get to preach to that I didn't get to before. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Having an eternal perspective actually makes you okay with your current circumstance. If Christmas Eve was my entire life, that four hours feels like a really long time and I start hating, hating dinner with my family and I hate the church service. But when I know that life is bigger than that day, I start to enjoy the church service. Paul is able to actually rejoice and find joy in these terrible circumstances because his perspective is different, because he's looking to God who is eternal and he knows that he has an eternal salvation in God. And now, why do I think this is so significant? I think it's significant for two reasons. The first reason is, I think God wants us to be happy. I do. I think he wants us to be joyful. There's so many texts. The psalmist says that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a reason why Jesus tells us to not be anxious. I don't think he wants us to be stressed, sad, and anxious. So I do think that's the first thing. He wants us to understand our perspective and our current circumstance and to be more joyful. But in addition... I think that suffering people, more often than not, are unproductive. I think if you're really sad about where you are, 
you're less likely to help people. I think that if you're concerned about your money and you're suffering and you feel like you don't have enough money, you're less likely to give to people. I think if you're so worried about your current status at work, you might put more time into work and less time with your family. You might be less willing to go talk to people about your faith or to talk to people about anything because you're so worried about yourself because you, you feel like you're trapped. And so I think that having this perspective, because it makes us more comfortable with where we currently are, like Paul was comfortable in prison, because Paul could have sat in prison and just sulked. He could have complained and he'd have every right to. He didn't deserve to be prisoned. He has every right to complain, but he didn't. And instead, he chose to continue forward promoting the gospel. By becoming more joyful, knowing that everything is set in place by God and that we have an eternal salvation secure, we can actually now be more confident going forward. And so that brings me to the second part of the verse. Second Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. I'm going to start with verse 8 again. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years in a thousand years as one day. The Lord, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. A little context behind this verse. So in, in what Peter is referring to here in Second Peter is he, he, the Christians are being challenged that we had this Jesus, we had this Messiah who came, died, and he promised that he would come back. And he hasn't come back yet. It's been tens of years. He hasn't come back yet. So people are calling the followers of Jesus fakers. Your, 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 your Messiah lied to you. Why is he not coming back? He's slow. He said he'd come back and he's not. And Peter here is saying, no, Jesus is going to come back on his own time. He's not slow in the same way that you count slowness. He doesn't count time the same way you do. And in fact, he is patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think that's amazing. When we ask God for things, when we want him to act a certain way, we might think he's being slow. But both slow and patience require time. What we see as slow, he's actually being patient. And I think we can actually use God's patience as a tool. It says in that text that God is patient because he does not desire that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's actually waiting and waiting and waiting and demonstrating patience because he wants more people to know who he is. And if you're like me and you trust in God with all your heart and you know Jesus died on the cross as your savior, as your savior and, you, and you believe your salvation is secure, then I believe that I should use God's patience to reach others. And I don't think I could do that if I was so bogged down by my own current circumstances and suffering. But I believe we're called to continue to go spread his news. Because every single day that we're on this planet, every extra day is another day that God is patient to go get people to him. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And God has allowed us to play a part in that. And I'll be honest, COVID has provided a lot of boundaries and a lot of reasons to say, I just can't do stuff right now because there's too much hindrances. There's too much things going on. 
I would love to go connect with people, but we're supposed to be quarantined. We're not supposed to be around people. And there's so many excuses we can make to not take advantage of these moments. COVID has, if you're like me, you're tempted to just coast through the rest of COVID. I'll be honest, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to say, I'm going to put my life on pause. I'm going to wait till COVID's over and then I'm going to hit the ground running and I'm going to start really going after people. I'm going to really start encouraging people like I used to. But I encourage you, don't be like me. Don't think that way. Help to encourage me too. Let's hit the ground running in 2021. Let's see 2021 and let's say, I'm going to take advantage of the time that God has still given me. Yes, I may be in prison like Paul. Yes, we may be trapped. That doesn't mean there aren't people that we can't connect with. Some examples of ways you can connect with people are you could just find someone. Maybe it's the same person every month or a different person, but once a month, call someone. Just have a conversation. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to go call strangers and preach the gospel, but maybe it's a brother or sister that you have metaphorically or literally, and you just need to share, the, you just need to share with them, encourage them. Zoom call someone, call them on the phone, write them a letter, send them a text. There are so many ways that we can still connect with people. Um, I have a great relationship with both my brothers and I talk with them constantly. One of my brothers recently just asked if um, we could just go through a book. And so we just started going through a book and just it's um, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And by going through it, we just read these chapters and we just talk about how we feel reading these chapters, which brings up real life situations. It leads me telling my brother, man, maybe I don't trust in, in God as much as I as much as I want it. And we just we just think of things and we just kind of, it's not really a Bible study. We just share our feelings based on how we read this book. I think that's, I think that was great. It's fun. If anyone wants any recommendations on any books or ideas for books of the Bible they could read or anything, please feel free to text or email me. But I do think this idea is significant. You can read this and just, we could have some fun theological conversation about how God's outside of time. But think about from a physical standpoint. A five-year-old sees time so much different than a 15-year-old, so much different than a 25-year-old, 35, and so on. To the point where my one of my grandfathers just, time is just whatever. It's just there. He enjoys every moment. None of it's a waste. And I think the same can be said for our spiritual lives. The more we mature in our faith, the more we grow, the more we look to God, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the more we have an eternal perspective and we realize that the present suffering isn't even worth mentioning compared to the glory that's in heaven. And so my hope and encouragement for all of you is that we enter 21, let's enter it with optimism, let's enter it with hope, and let's do our best to take what we feel like is big suffering and let's try and shrink it. Not, not, not avoid it, not fake it. Don't act like everything's good when it's not. But I genuinely believe that looking to God we can actually find more joy today than we did yesterday and even more tomorrow. And with that joy, we can actually use it to take advantage of COVID. I know that sounds silly, but take advantage of COVID. People are suffering, people are hurting. Let's go love on people as best we can because we have an eternal salvation secure with us. Let's go love on people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we love you so much. Thank you for being in total control and for giving us day after day of your patience. Patience where we get to come to you closer in repentance and days where we get to bring more people to you. God, I thank you that you are not a God that, that came a thousand years ago. Because I don't know where I would be, God, but you have waited patiently. 
Let us take advantage of the time you've given us. Let us not take any of it for granted. Let us fall more in love with you and let us reach others too. We pray this all into your perfect name. Amen. I pray and hope that you have a wonderful new year and we will see you next year.